Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Emmanuel Church, if you're joining us at the Greenwood campus, if you're online, any of our multi-site campuses, Garfield Park, Franklin, Banta, if you're excited to be here, let somebody know this morning. Are we excited to be here? Are we excited to go? I'm excited to be with you. It's always such an honor and a privilege. If I've never met you before, my name is Cody Johnson. I'm the campus pastor here at our Emmanuel Church Greenwood campus, and I love to do this. It is such a privilege to be with you. And today, Today we've got kind of a, a one-off topic that we're going to be discussing. It's not part of a series or anything like that. It's a, it's a unique talk. The title of the talk today is called People Problems, which is interesting because you just saw the intro slide that says life is better connected. Now we're going to talk about all these problems that people have. But I think this will make sense and you'll, you'll hopefully see the connection very soon. But the topic and the idea that I want to discuss today is that people have problems. And we're going to talk about this dichotomy, this interesting balance between this first big problem that I want to talk about But this first part is going to be so deep, so deep, and the depth of this content is going to be so rich that you may not recover from it. So when I throw up the first part of this problem, what I'm going to do is I'm going to raise my hand, and when I do so, I want you to go, ooh. And when I lower it, I want you to go, ah. You ready? Can you do that with me? Okay. Here's the first part of the problem. People make life hard. Well done. Well done. I hope you did that online with us as well. That is, that's deep. This is deep, high-level thinking. People make life hard. We want to talk about this a little bit today. We're going to close this thought in just a second. How many of you have ever been to a donut shop and you've witnessed someone order a dozen donuts? Oh, yeah. You've seen this. You've witnessed this. I happen to have a dozen donuts right here. I'm combining, oh, the variety. They went with the assorted mix today. That's really nice. No, we're combining two of my favorite things today, donuts and Jesus. Look at this. (laughs) Twelve donuts. My daughter and I frequently have donut dates together, so we are very familiar with the donuts. But if you watch people order a dozen donuts, something very interesting happens. The people that order the donuts make life very hard for the donut artist. Subway has sandwich artists. I called donut makers donut artists because these are art, as you can plainly see. But when people walk up to order donuts, a few things happen. They forget how to do math. They forget how to count. They can't count to 12. They forget and they lose their way. They forget that the concept of donuts have ever existed. And the last question's like, hey, that round donut in the case there, the one with the hole in the middle of it, what kind of donut is that? And the donut artist will look at the donut and they'll look at them and they'll say, ma'am, that's a yeast donut. And the people will say, yeast donuts, wow, is that new? And the donut artist will say, no, yeast donuts have been around since Jesus was walking the earth. And they'll go back and forth like this, whereas if they just would have done a little bit of thinking ahead, a little bit of preparation, they would have remembered that, you know, four times three will give you 12, two times six, one times 12, that will give you 12 donuts. You can pick all the same donut, or you can just have the donut artist pick the 12 for you. That's a pro tip. You may not have known that they could do that. I've spent a lot of time at donut shops, as you can plainly see. People make life hard, and they make it hard in very silly ways, but they also do it in a little bit more more serious ways as well. 
you probably make life hard for other people too. We've asked the question here before, what's it like to be on the other side of you? You can internally ask yourself this question, how have you made life hard for other people? Because I know how people have made life hard for me, and maybe you've experienced these things. People will just lie straight to your face. People lie all the time. People will steal from you. People will hurt you verbally. They'll hurt you physically, mentally. People will leave when you need them the most. People will accuse you of terrible things when they don't have the full context of the story. People won't listen to you. People make life very, very hard. But one of the hardest things people ever did was that people killed Jesus. Jesus wasn't killed by a wolf. He wasn't mauled by a bear. We did that. We killed Jesus. We're going to be talking about the book of Acts, books one and two today. So if you've got your Bible, you've got the Emmanuel Church app, you can kind of follow along with this, especially if you're online as well. But Peter is preaching to a crowd of people. He's talking about the importance of receiving the Holy Spirit and repenting of your sins and turning to follow God with everything that you have. But he lets these people know just how hard they've made life for the rest of us. He goes on to say this. Peter says, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you, you people, you nailed Jesus to a cross and you killed him. You made life hard. You did the hardest thing that you could possibly do as a group of people. But there's a balance to this idea, this depth of this huge concept of people making life hard. I know some of you are still recovering. I understand that. We've got a little bit of time. You can follow along with me. But there's a balance to this idea. There's a dichotomy to it. People make life hard, but we need people to do hard things. We need people to do hard things, to get through these hard things. Think about it. When you're going through a tough situation, situation, who do you call? You call people. Somebody breaks into your house, you call people. You call the police. If your house is on fire, who do you call? You don't call an orangutan. They're not going to do anything for you. You call the fire department. You call people. If you're a student with us today and you go through a really bad breakup and your heart's broken, shattered in a hundred pieces, and you're making sad posts on social media, who do you go to? You go to people because you need people for encouragement, for reassurance, to build you up. That's the power. That's the interesting problem with people. They make things so difficult, but man, we need them. We need them to get through hard things. People make life hard, but we need them to get through these hard things. Some of you here today, if you're being honest with yourself, you don't even really like people that much. I had a roommate in college who just told me straight up that he had a dog and he liked his dog more than people, which kind of let me know where I stood with him being his roommate. But some of you have a struggle with this, and so you're sitting there thinking, you know what, yeah, like people do make life hard, we need people, but do I have to love people along the way? How, like, can I just kind of treat people as an afterthought and still help people get through hard things? No, not really, because Jesus was very clear with how we are supposed to regard people. Because here's another interesting problem with people. Our mission as Christ followers, as people who love Jesus, or even if people who don't love Jesus here today, our mission is people. That's another problem, isn't it? Especially if you don't like people, this can make it really tough. But even if you think about the mission of our church, what's the mission of Emmanuel Church? Our mission is that we exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. It's the reason we do everything that we do. Weekend services, events, children's ministry, student ministry, everything. That's our mission. We exist to see people know Jesus, to come to Christ and grow in Christ. Now, Jesus, before he ascended to heaven. He was talking to his group of followers, his disciples, who would very soon become apostles. And I'll explain the difference in that in a minute. But Jesus was talking to his group of 11 people. And before he finally ascended to heaven, 50 days after he was crucified, killed on a cross, he gave his disciples, his followers, a very clear mission to follow. And it's a mission that's very similar to you and I today. 
This is what he said to his followers. He said, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now let's hang out here for a second. These people up to this point had been disciples. They were students of Jesus. They were following him, learning from him, observing his teaching, observing his miracles. They were disciples up to that point. But if you look up the definition of apostle in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it is one who is called to a mission. They were just called to a mission. This is your mission. For the rest of your life, your mission is people. Your mission is not only people, but it's to tell people about me. The things you've seen, the things you've heard, the the miracles that I've done, you need to tell people about me to the ends of the earth. That is called job security. It's a long job, and you got to go everywhere to do it. So now these are apostles, these 11 people who have been called to a mission. And it's deeper than that, because it's not just called to tell people about it. We're called to love them in a very specific way. And Jesus put this on a level that you can't get any higher than the level he's about to put it on with how we regard people, with how we love people, this being part of our mission. Jesus was an amazing teacher. And as he was teaching one day, a student came up to me and said, teacher, what is the most important commandment? Like, what if I got one thing to learn from this class, from this wisdom that you're dropping on me, what's the one takeaway that I need to leave with? And Jesus said this. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Some translations say all your strength. Every faculty that you have available to you, that's how you gotta love people. Every, or excuse me, how you gotta love God. This is the first and greatest commandment. So loving God, that's the big one. But Jesus doesn't stop there, he keeps going. Jesus says, a second is equally important. Equally, no difference, it's the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. To put it in terms of what we're talking about today, to love people as yourself. This is why people who struggle with church have such a problem with Christians. Because people will say, oh man, I love God. I love God so much. God is my everything. God is everything to me. And then those same people will treat people like dirt. And so if you're somebody who's on the outside looking in, or if you're a new guest with us today, you're like, man, that sounds like hypocrisy. And it is. It's a struggle that all Christians deal with every day because it's hard to love people. But this is the call. This is the standard from Jesus Christ. So now we got these problems. We've got these people problems. They make it hard, but we need them. And now people are my mission. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? What are we supposed to do with these people problems? What do we do with them? What is a way to address these people problems, an efficient, effective way for us to address these problems that are set in front of us today? What can I do? Well, what I would humbly suggest today for you watching online, all of our campuses are right here at Greenwood. What I would suggest is the same response that these apostles, these followers of Jesus Christ had back in the book of Acts. And my suggestion today, humbly, is I think you should join a small group. I think you should join a small group. The question that I'm sure some of you are asking is, like, what's, what's a small group? Like, this is my first time today. I've never been to a small group. You, you've mentioned that before. They've got the UG monster in the lobby. You're talking about groups. Our host today is talking about small groups. What is this? A small group at our church is a group of about 10 to 12 people. That meets over the course of a semester. They meet every week. Sometimes they have breaks built in based on the schedule that you work out with your small group leader, the person who leads the conversations and support and discussions. And the sole purpose of this is to grow closer to Christ and grow closer in connection with one another, to support people, to encourage them. We have a lot of new people that show up all the time like, man, I want to make friends. I want to get involved. What's the best way to do that? What's the best way to make your big church feel a little bit smaller? Join a group. Join a small group. That's how we do this. But this is also an effective way to address these problems in the mission. And it's biblical. This was the apostles' response 
to their lives being very hard and getting this difficult mission. Because if you've never read Acts book one and two, man, these apostles, they went through about the most difficult thing they could go through. If you think about it, they had Jesus. They had him in the flesh, walking among them. He was teaching them. He was sitting and eating and having food with them. They were enjoying fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then they had to see people betray him. Peter denied him three times. Judas betrayed him for money. They lost Jesus. And this group of 12 that became 11, they also lost one of their closest friends. They lost Judas because Judas died as a result of his betrayal. So not only do they lose their teacher, they lose one of their best friends. Dead, gone. That's hard. Some of you have been betrayed. Some of you have lost friends before. And you know what that feels like. And then they get this mission on top of it. We're supposed to help serve the very people that killed Jesus. Doesn't get much harder than that, but they need people to do that. They need people to make that work. So what do they do? They join a small group. They form a small group. Check this out. It says they worship together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. We meet in homes for small group, don't we? We meet in homes. We meet in apartments. We meet in restaurants. We'll meet anywhere. We'll meet in a park. The people met together in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Eating in small groups is one of the best parts of the whole thing. People bring snacks, they bring donuts. You can't have these, but people bring donuts, they bring stuff all the time. Because you're eating, you're having fellowship, you're just kind of hanging out together, you're getting to know each other, you're supporting one another, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. You praise God all the time. A lot of times during small group, the first thing we'll do is, hey, who's got some gratitude that we want to share to kick off our small group meeting? A lot of it's doing, due to what God is doing in your life. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That last part kind of sounds like our mission, doesn't it? Come to Christ and grow in Christ. We have people coming to Christ here at this church all the time. God has blessed this church immensely. We don't take that for granted. Added to their fellowship those who are being saved. This is what can happen in a small group. And this is why I suggest that you join today. But I know some of you are here today and you've joined in the past. Like, man, it was kind of rocky. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do it again. People are hard. I got a dog. I'm good with the dog. I'm fine. And I get that. I truly understand. But I want to let you know that there's not just benefits that you're going to be giving out, but you're also going to be receiving benefits of a well. It's a really interesting balance of giving and receiving. And I think one of the major benefits of joining a small group, especially when it comes to helping with this mission and observing these people problems, is the first point in your hand is that it's good for you. I think that it's good for you. Purely from a mental and physical health standpoint, joining a small group and having strong relationships and being in fellowship with small, tight groups of people, it is good for you. And this bears out in research. There have been so many different pockets of research that have been done on the effects of positive relationships, connection with people, especially in light of this past year where we had to do months of quarantine without people. Like we saw depression go up, anxiety go up, domestic violence go up. A lot of the reason for that was because of this disconnection that we had with other people, whether it was in person or whether it was online. Dr. Emma Sapala, who's a Stanford researcher at Stanford University out in California, she did a study on the positive effects of group socialization and what it can do for your health. Check this out. 50% increased chance of longevity when it comes in living your life. It strengthens your immune system. You don't get as sick as often, which is a crazy benefit. Lowers your anxiety and depression, especially after this past year. I think that would be something we could all benefit from, I think. Have a higher self-esteem and empathy so you're going to feel better about yourself internally and you're going to be more empathetic to those people around you because you're going to be sharing in their burdens. You know what they're going through because you're sitting right in front of them all the time. 
and you're more trusting and you're more cooperative because you're a team, you're a unit. The disciples called themselves the 12. You could have a, t- a cool name like that. Look, this is my 12, we're the 12. Like, that's pretty sick. You could do that if you wanted to. But on the flip side of that, these are the positives. Like, what are the negatives if you choose not to engage in this? Are there health detriments if you choose not to join a group and get involved in these strong relationships? Oh, yeah. Harvard Medical Medical School School did a study on this of over 309,000 people. Staggering results. But what happens when you don't have strong relationships with people? Check this out. They found a lack of strong relationships increased the risk of premature death from all causes by 50%. That's massive. An effect on mortality risk roughly comparable to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and greater than obesity and physical activity. All from not having strong, strong relationships with other people. The detrimental effects of isolation, just hanging out and not really doing life with any other people. 15 cigarettes a day. You know how many people die from obesity in this country every single year? 2.8 million people every year, obesity. And this is just from a health perspective, but I think they left out something. They left out something very important that I think is almost one of the major benefits, and it's definitely a give and receive type of balance. I think this, this benefit, and this is something I actually felt about a week ago concerning my health and concerning just me feeling better about myself, is point number two. It's give and receive encouragement. Man, when you're in a group of people and you're around positive people, you are able to give encouragement and receive encouragement. So last week I made a post on social media. It was my birthday last week. And my wife for my birthday, she did something really cool. She kind of came to me and she said, hey, I know things have been kind of stressful lately. We got a lot of stuff going on. She's like, you haven't really been alone, you know, since the girls have been born. We got a six-year-old and a two-year-old. And she's like, why don't you just kind of get out of town for a little bit? Like go somewhere, just kind of be by yourself, read a book, do whatever you want. So we kind of put our heads together and I decided that I wanted to go to Great Smoky Mountain National Park in Tennessee because I've never been and it seems beautiful and I like Tennessee. People are super nice there. So I went for a couple days and really all I did was hike. I went to the park and I walked around and I hiked. Now, as you can plainly see, I am not an endurance athlete. Like I like to pick stuff up and put it down. I'm not like running all the time. So for me, like hiking was something I don't do a lot, but I thought it was, it was a really cool thing. I even bought a weapon to protect myself because I was going to be by myself in the wilderness I bought a very effective weapon, I think. This is the weapon. It is a pocket knife because I don't know anything about self-defense. And my wife, when I showed this to her, I bought this from Tractor Supply. I brought it home and she was like, if a black bear runs up on you (laughs) on a trail, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know. Give it a little bit of this. (laughs) That is the coolest thing I'll ever do on this stage. I'm going to be very careful as I put this away so I don't chop off my little fingers. So I'm going to put that right there. But that was, I had a pocket knife with me, and I decided to go up this trail called Alum Cave Trail. I don't know if any of you have ever done it. It's beautiful. I actually had a picture of it. Check that out. That's a cave, ladies and gentlemen. Look at that thing. See these little things right here? Those are people. That's how big the cave was. Also, fun fact, I am terrified of heights, so this made me very uncomfortable to be standing anywhere near this place. But I'm just walking by myself. By myself. Nobody else is with me. Five-mile hike, alone in my thoughts, no headphones, no nothing, just being me, existing in nature. And I'm walking along, and about a mile and a half in, I realized that I left my water bottle in the car. Not great. A group of uh, a family who was involved with Cub Scouts approached me in the lobby this past weekend after I made this post. I'm like, hey, if you want to join our, our Cub Scout group, you're more than welcome to, because from what you described on your social media post, you did not do this right. I humbly declined their invitation. 
So I left my water bottle in the car. I'm all by myself. I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just walking, just trying to experience a little peace and serenity. And I see a little sign at the top of this hill that says, Trail to Mount LeConte, 2.7. Now, up to this point, I already walked about two and a half miles. Calves are getting a little tender. And so I see this trail. I was like, you know what, 2.7 miles, why not? Like, not a big deal, right? Like, I've, I've done half marathons before. I don't know if I'm going to be doing one again. But I've done them before. And I, like, I figured 2.7 miles, well, what's the harm that could come to that? A lot, actually. Because 2.7 miles up a mountain is much different than 2.7 miles around your neighborhood. And I didn't really know that. So I'm walking, I'm tired, and I'm by myself for like five miles up a mountain. And all these doubts start getting in my head, and I start questioning everything. Like, why did you do this? This is so dumb. You should have brought somebody with you. Why would you leave your water in the car? You're too big to be doing this. Why don't you just turn around and just go back? You know what got me to the top? of that mountain, which is, again, this is not an achievement. People do this every day. People were passing me like I was standing still. Like, this is not an achievement. I'm not bragging. The thing that got me to the top was other people. It was encouragement because I would stop and people would stop me and we'd take a break and we'd look at these amazing views and we would talk to each other. We would compliment each other. We would ask each other, hey, where are you from? How's it going? Do your calves hurt? It was so nice like to just be able to talk and have fellowship with people that I'll never, I'll never see these people again, ever. But they were lifting me up, I was lifting them up, and it honestly felt like a cold cup of water. It just gave you this jolt, this juice, and I could keep going and I could keep moving forward. I actually made it to the top, and this is a picture of what it looks like up there. Those are mountains. This is a big tree. I'm eye level with clouds, which I had never been before outside of being in a plane. And again, my fear of heights kind of caught up to me, and I was like, I should probably go back down now. But this is what the view is like at the top, and on my way down... I saw another fellow big dude hiker that was kind of making his way up as I was coming down. And we're just like two big dudes, just like seeing each other. It's like, whoa, you're big, I'm big, we should talk. (laughs) And so he stopped me. He was like, hey, man, I really like your hiking boots. And I was like, dude, thanks. I really like your walking sticks. And he was like, thanks, bro. (laughs) He had like these black carbon fiber walking sticks. They were so cool. They looked like Batman walking sticks. And we just sat there, and like, he probably won't even remember this. I didn't even get the, guy, the guy's name, but he said, you know, what you've done is, is really special. I've heard about that trail before, and you should be really proud of that. And I'm like, oh, thank you, my big brother. Like, that's so nice. <laughs> and I was like, have you been to the top yet? Have you been to Myrtle Point? And he's like, no, I haven't been there. I said, man, when you get there, admire the view because you've earned it. This is a really big thing. And he's like, thanks, man. We fist bumped, and we went the other way, and it, it was good. It was encouragement. It was nice. And then I realized I had a five-mile walk down the mountain with no water. That was not encouraging. But that cup of water thing, that cup of water effect that I'm talking about, man, that's real. And that's biblical. Like that's like Proverbs 18.4 biblical, specifically. It says a person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Man, I felt that. And I gave that and I received it. And honestly, I'm not just, I'm not just being fake with you. Like, uh, like to give that and to tell that big dude, like that compliment about his walking sticks and Myrtle Point, that felt better than him telling me about my boots. It was awesome. To be able to give that to him, it felt so good. Here's what Dale Carnegie said about the the effect of your words on someone. It says, perhaps you will forget tomorrow the kind words you say today, but the recipient may cherish them over a lifetime. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I will always remember what that guy said to me. Hey man, what you did just now, that was really special. He didn't have to say that. He was being encouraging. He was was giving me that life-giving water of encouragement. You know what the craziest part about all this? You can do that too. You can do that. God is trusting us with his people. How insane is that? We are trusted to give these people around us this life-refreshing water of encouragement. 
That's a special kind of trust. That's a special opportunity that each of us get to step into should we want to pop, should we want to pop into a group. You can do that today. And there's all these benefits. There's physical benefits. There's mental benefits. There's the encouraging benefits. But there's one benefit. There's one benefit that's a little bit tougher of joining a small group and how we can accomplish this mission. It's one that you might not have had to deal with because maybe you've been very blessed and you haven't had to, to deal with any type of calamity or anarchy in your life. And I'm thankful that you haven't had to deal with that. But I would say if you haven't had a big, hard thing happen to you in your life, I would say that it's more than likely that that's coming. And then you get to the third major benefit of small group, which I think is disaster support. Small groups are great at this. Disaster support. Providing support, giving and receiving support when things go bad. Because they will. And I think society, and we have done this, we're a part of this problem, we have done a really great job of making it think like, when disaster strikes and things go, go terribly wrong, we like to put out this perception that people turn into cannibals and we start eating each other. And we start looting. And we start calling people these terrible names and we're not really there for people. Like we don't care about people, we care about ourselves and our own self-interest. But when you look at the research and if you, you read some books about this, that's not exactly true. In fact, what happens is that groups get stronger when disaster strikes. And some of you have seen this and you've experienced this in a small group type setting. In the book, The Unthinkable, Who Survives When Disaster Strikes and Why, Amanda Ripley was studying what happens when disaster strikes a group or when it strikes civilization. It's a really interesting book. I got it when I was a school counselor, and I never really looked at it before this talk, but it's pretty good. Here's what she said about how groups hold together. She said, contrary to popular expectations, this is what happens in a real disaster. Civilization holds. People move in groups wherever they can. They're usually far more polite than they are normally. They look out for one another. They look out for one another. That's not what I see on the news. That's not what I see on social media. How can this be true? Why does this happen? Well, in the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger, they do all these different studies about group dynamics and group dynamics, especially when things get hard in these tribal type situations. And there was this, this scientist named Charles Fritz, and he wanted to put together this study of what really happens on the ground when disaster strikes with a group of people. He did this in 1961. He was at the University of Chicago, and he had a group of people, a group of researchers, and all they did was they would show up on site when a disaster strike, and they would interview people to see what was going on. That was their whole job, and they gathered data, and this is what Fritz found as a result. He said, disasters, he proposed, create a community of sufferers that allows individuals to experience an immensely reassuring connection to one another. An immensely reassuring connection. The reason that happens is because pain is relative. We've all experienced pain before. We've all experienced loss of some type. Maybe not the same as the neighbor or the person sitting next to you, but we've all felt pain in some regard. We've all had either many disasters or major disasters that happen. And when disasters happen, we're in a group of people, it gives us a sense of purpose. Because we can step in and we can support. We can throw our hierarchies and our socioeconomic status and our jobs and our race and all this other stuff that doesn't matter. We can throw that to the side and we can step in and we can help because now if one of our group is suffering, we are all suffering. And so now I want to step in and I want to help and I want to do my part. And I could continue and I could share additional stories and examples from these two books and they're really good books. But sometimes it's better to just see it and see what that's like. And today we have a video that we want to share with you from a community of people, a small group at our church. It's Mark and Susan Smith's small group. And they've got two people in this group named Tim and Stephanie Warner. And they're going through something very difficult right now, what some would describe as a disaster. 
And they're going to talk to you a little bit, and they're going to share their story, but they're also going to share with you the power of a supportive community of sufferers, the power of a supportive small group. Check out this video, and you'll see what we mean. Hello, my name is Tim. My name is Stephanie. And, and we, we are, are the Werners. We met at a high school football game. Um, my team lost, and it was a rival high school. And, um, and so my teammates and I went to the high school football game on Friday night in October. And um, we were, of course, not watching the football game at all. We were watching the cheerleaders. I saw one that kind of caught my eye. And I looked at the guy next to me and I said, man, she is hot. And he kind of bumped me real hard in the elbow and said, that's my cousin. And so I said, well, you gotta introduce me to her at night or at halftime. What happened? It took about two to three weeks for you to call me. And then um, we went on our first date and my parents drove us. Uh, the 16 year old, three month probationary period where you couldn't drive with anybody. So my parents took us on our first date and then the rest is history, 22 yeah. years later. Um, my faith started really at a young age. Um, my family was um, very conservative, and um, and so I accepted uh, the Lord in my heart as as my Savior when I was nine years old. And I remember my dad baptizing me in our uh, tub in the second floor of our um, old farmhouse. My faith journey began um, at a young age. I always remember going to the United Methodist Church. That's where grandma went. Uh, Mom and I would go on Sundays. Uh, every once in a while, dad and grandpa would go, but not nearly as often as mom and grandma and I. We uh, would switch on and off with each other's churches. And I still kind of was struggling um, with my relationship with Christ because of there was just so much going on in my life, just survival. God definitely took a back seat during that time of life. Um, and then moving on into uh, college, um, um, we were both studying elementary education. education. Yep. And we attended the Methodist church there on campus. Yeah. That might be where our American dream comes in. You know, you, you finish college, you, you know, we're, we're gonna get married, we're gonna have kids, start our careers. And, um, you know, as a young married couple, we chose to be very career driven and uh, we flipped houses, um, moved every two years. We stayed with that one church. Um, we joined a few small groups on and off yeah. throughout our time there. Uh, so we got connected with Emmanuel Church. Um, we had an electrician come in to help us with our house, and his name was Tommy. And we kind of talked a little bit, and um, he said, are you guys going to church anywhere? And we said, yeah, we go to this church in Greenwood. Um, it's on the far side of Greenwood. And um, he said, well, you know, I go to Emmanuel. And he said, you should really try it. And um, 
and they have great small groups too. I believe there was a church service uh, in August and they had talked about the small groups at Emmanuel. So we jumped online and we were looking at small groups and the different options and it was kind of overwhelming. There was a lot. And you know, what's right for us? What do we need? Um, you know, being career driven, we're both elementary school administrators. You know, we're, we're working on flipping this house, um, busy with life. So let's get something close to home. Um, so once I put things in, um, there was a group in Mooresville, Mark and Susan Smith. So boom, there we go. The beginning of 18 of February of 2018, we're in the middle of building the house and I started having, realizing that I having difficulties with my balance, um, severe cramping, and we were in the middle of a, a complete rehab of this house. It took it until uh, Thanksgiving, I finally got answers of what was going on in 2018. I was able to get an appointment at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, they're the best neurologists in the world. And so I figured for sure we can get some answers. And so um, Thanksgiving of 2018, um, um, I was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Our small group has been a support and blessing to us by means of e extremely specific prayer requests. You know, people will say, what can we do for you? We'll just pray for us. Well, no, what's really going on? What's coming up? What appointment? What, what aspect of your life are, are we struggling with, are trying to problem solve and figure out right now? And we can share those specific details with them and, um, you know, get the prayer that night and or just knowing that, you know, we're all going to be praying for each other in a specific way throughout the week until we regroup on that next Wednesday. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I'm a kind of a guy that um, has a checklist of projects around the house that I normally would be able to do myself. And so the guys know this. And so when they'll tell me, Tim, I have a day off, and um, this is the day I'm coming to your house. Uh, you uh, better be ready. And they even made this hat that says- um, Supervisor. Supervisor. <laughs> and so um, uh, they'll come over and help with that to-do list. Um, and it's just amazing. So if you're thinking about joining a small group or you're not sure where you might fit in, just jump in and try one. Um, if things don't work out or you're not feeling comfortable, there are so many others to choose from, whether it's age group or a men's group or a women's group or a singles group or a couples group, there's options out there. You know, check things out again, talk to somebody in the church um, and see if somebody can help you find the right fit for what you need in your life right now. The support is incredible. And um, you have to have that in your life. You we need that support. The reason that we showed you that video is so that you could receive the encouragement because I think Tim and Stephanie are about two of the most encouraging people that have ever lived and that I've ever met in my life. But we also want you to see what's possible if you decide to join a group. They have their culture locked in 
And it's working so well because they have created a community of sufferers, a community of people that support one another, a community of people that encourage one another because they're going through a very hard thing. But they are all growing closer to God and other people will grow closer to God as a result of their culture and as a result of their group because they have decided to step in and suffer amongst each other and support one another. If you're stepping into a small group or if you decide to try one out today, maybe for the first time or maybe you wanna get back into it, that's the opportunity that you're stepping into. That's what's available to you. And I know some of you are probably thinking, not real convenient right now in my life. Like I got a schedule, I got an Outlook calendar, it's full. Work is crazy, my kids are crazier, things are always happening, there's not a free night of the week. Maybe I'll just wait until that night comes available. I've been at this church for 10 years. I've been in small groups for like nine and a half. In 10 years, I think I've taken two semesters off of small group. Small group's never going to be convenient, ever. There's always going to be something that could take its place. It requires a commitment and it requires a sacrifice but it is something that is so rewarding, not just on your own end, but from your groups. And because people know Jesus and the message and the hope of Jesus and the gospel spreads. Because when your culture and your group gets so strong, it multiplies and it keeps growing and growing and spreading throughout this community until we can look out and we can see no one in our community that doesn't know who Jesus Christ, the supreme sufferer in our lives is. That is the hope and that's why we do this. Some of you today, you're sitting there and you're thinking, maybe it's time for me to join a small group. Maybe it is. There are gonna be people at all the campuses that you can drop a comment online. If you need help getting linked up to a small group, let us know because the opportunities and the possibility available is for you to be partnered up with Jesus to accomplish this mission. It's that trust that we talked about just a little bit ago. But for some of you here today, you're thinking of this idea of suffering and you haven't come to grips with the fact that we are serving Jesus Christ. We're serving the one supreme being who suffered for all of us. And some of you are brand new today and you don't even know what he did for you. You don't even know why we're doing all of this. We're doing it because Jesus Christ was a man. He was the son of God, the perfect embodiment of a sinless existence. And he walked this earth. He never sinned, not once. And he could have been absolutely anything that he wanted to be. And he he had so many different miracles. He lifted up so many people. He encouraged so many people. But the one thing that we remember, the one thing that we take with us, and the one reason why there are churches built all across this country, the reason we follow him was because he suffered for us. He died for us on a cross. He took the penalty of our sins and all of our shortcomings and all of our faults. He took all of that on that cross when he died. But it wasn't enough that he died. He rose again three days later. He conquered the penalty of sin and death when he walked out of the grave. And some of you have the ability to place your faith and trust in that today. You've been wrestling with it for a while. You've been praying about it. You've been talking to people and you're you're like right there. You're right on the edge. And maybe for you, some of these people, it's time for them to join a small group. But for you, maybe it's time for you to place your faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's where you're at today, I would be honored to say a simple prayer. And you can take these words, take these words that I'm about to say, and you pray them straight to Jesus Christ. This is a beautiful moment between you and Jesus. And for everybody else that's joining us today, online, at all of our other campuses, if you have a relationship with Christ, pray for the person right next to you who's about to make this decision. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I come to you today because I know that you suffered for me. Jesus, I acknowledge today that you died on a cross for me. Your death means that you cover the penalty of my sins. I'm coming to you today asking for forgiveness for the mistakes that I've made.
for the sins I've committed. I acknowledge that you, Jesus, rose three days later, that you rose from the grave, conquering the penalty of my sin. And you conquered death. Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to spread your encouragement. I want to live like you lived. Jesus, help me to follow you for the rest of my life. It is in your name I humbly pray, Jesus. And we all said, amen. They are celebrating like nuts in heaven right now. We want to celebrate right here. Can we give it up for everybody that made this decision? It is such a cool thing that you've just done. It's the coolest thing in the world. We want to put a free gift in your hand. Thank you. We are so excited. Hey, if you just prayed this prayer and you just trusted in Christ, that's amazing. We want to hook you up with a free gift. All you need to do, text the word SAVE to number 65248. And we would love to send this to you if you're online. If you're at all of our other physical campuses, head out to the lobby, go to the info desk, and we would love to put one of these in your hand. It's got a copy of the New Believers New Testament Bible to get you started in your relationship with Christ. You can learn grow with him. It's also got a coffee cup as our way of saying thank you and our way of congratulating you with this momentous decision. Guys, can we give God glory one more time before we're dismissed today? I hope this message was encouraging. I hope the Warner story was encouraging. And more, more than that, I hope you guys have the opportunity, if you're ready, to step into a great small group. And I hope you find one that lifts you up, one where you can encourage people as well. Let's pray together and then we will kick it to our local teams for dismissal. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to this church and worship you. God, we love you so much. We are so thankful for your son. We are so thankful for this opportunity to achieve this mission that has been beset before us. God, help us to do it with eager hearts. Help us to do it with humility and help us to do it with love. God, we love you so much. It's in your name we humbly pray, amen. At this time, we're gonna kick it to our local teams. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.